But putting ourselves in God on the Father's knee and asking for bread, what Jesus said was so clear. Well, you you dads here on earth, if your child asks you for something to eat, you're not going to give them a snake or a rock. Mm-hmm. You know how to give good things mm-hmm. to your kids. How much more does my daddy know how to give good things to his kids? Mm-hmm. And that has encouraged me to say, we are only poor for not asking. Welcome to another episode of Invited In, a podcast connecting the global family of Samaritan's Purse. This week, I had the privilege to talk with Dr. Steve Foster. Dr. Foster is a a doctor who serves in one of our partner hospitals with World Medical Mission. Dr. Foster is a third-generational missionary. In November 1917, Stephen's grandfather moved to northern Rhodesia in Africa to serve. Their son, Bob, followed in their footsteps, and he was called to serve in Mkungi. Bob had seven children, one of whom felt the call to be a missionary, and that is Dr. Foster. Steve was a medical student at McMaster University in Ontario, Canada, and he decided to spend a summer in central Angola working at a clinic. And during this time, he fell in love with surgery, but also the people of Angola. After graduating and discovering the need for a doctor in rural Angola, Steve took on the role. He raised his family in this region, and he dedicated his life to this work. I was so encouraged to speak to Dr. Foster and to hear just a few of his many stories from his time in Angola. His commitment to this ministry is unwavering and inspiring. How has the Lord sustained you and showed you, and can you maybe talk about the partnership with Samaritan's Purse? When and how did we start partnering with your hospital? It was being challenged by the example of brothers and sisters in the churches in Angola whom you have made friends with, whom you saw give their lives, to whom several of our best friends became martyrs who didn't think it was a matter of import to protect themselves and put the kingdom of God first. And when you work alongside people to whom you your kids have used the name aunt and uncle, they become family and the best of that wonderful sense of you've crossed these cultural barriers and you've become connected because you've become a sense of following Jesus has trumped everything else you do. Um, and then you begin to think about the simple words in Scripture, what the Apostle Paul says time and time again. Well, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Um, it's great to be around here. God's probably going to keep me around a little bit longer to help instruct you, some of you. But in the end of the thing, it would be sure be nice to be in heaven with my Heavenly Father in that wonderful sense. And so you live with this heavenly-mindedness, but realizing there's some earthly goodness that mm-hmm. comes along. And and then you meet people who gave their lives just like it was normal thing to do, who took weekly, monthly risks to drive landmine-filled highways, to drive where ambushes were common, and who didn't think that that was something too high to do are too difficult to do. And quite frankly, people like that have left 40-year deep impressions on my life, and I hope that God will find us faithful 
in these, sort of some sense, latter days of life. Since 1961, Angola was in a state of war. Portugal was uncomfortable with numbers of Protestant missionaries entering Angola, and so they believed that they were radicalizing the country. And so Angola gained a reputation as one of the most violent and dangerous places in Africa. Franklin Graham visited us back in 84 at the worst of the time of when we were under the gun, where they found a book of Franklin's dad on the shelf that said, uh, angels, gods, secret agents. And then they turned around and said to us, well, then that means all of you guys are CIA agents. They didn't read the book, of course. <laughs> but the very nature of the word secret agent just brought a whole, this conflict between East and West, and you guys were all paid to be here by the CIA, and you couldn't have been here for any other reason. And um, Franklin found us in the middle of that, that kind of, kind of conversation, with very humble beginnings in healthcare, with clinics that were scarcely able to open their doors where we didn't have a truck even to move things from ports to where we needed to use them, where we couldn't tell Franklin that if the truck was put on the road, it would survive another year. And his willingness to just start and uh, invest. And then 20 years later, my dad was given a gift which Franklin then multiplied three or four times over as God saw fit to create hands together to create a brand new medical center in southwest Angola where I work now. And we opened those doors 15 years ago. Be this month of October will be 15 years. And that all got ha that all happened because Franklin said, let's do it. Then in 2005, Franklin Graham hosted the Festival of Hope in Lubongo a rally celebrating the opening of the Evangelical Medical Center and the nation's freedom to worship laws. More than 97 churches participated, and Bob was in Angola during this event, and he visited, visited with Franklin. Bob and Franklin had the chance to connect and talk about furthering the medical mission work. After people began to return from refugee camps, they asked for help to rebuild a clinic, school, and church. Samaritan's Purse and World Medical Mission came alongside to help support the growing vision. Franklin says often, you know, that medicine is a magnet for the gospel. You know, it, it just is. People need physical healing. Uh, but as Christians, we know that spiritual healing is ultimately what they need. They, yes. they want that physical healing, but they need Jesus. So how do you share the gospel with your patients, and how do you see transformation spiritually in the work that you're doing today? Well, it's one of the fascinating things about Africans is they don't have to be persuaded that there's God. They have a word for it, their native languages. Deep sense of brokenness. No one has to tell them, you don't talk about sin to my African patients. They know they're broken and they know they're far from God. Their biggest challenge, of course, is to recognize what it is that's separated them and what it is that's blocking the power of God in their lives. And as an African thinks in an integrated manner, to take people to prayer is absolutely natural. To say, can we bow our heads and ask for the wisdom we need to look after you? And they love it. They light up. What? You're going to pray for me? And 
I've been so honored to serve day by day, week by week, where we do rounds with my students and rounds with each other, other fellow physicians and colleagues, where we put our hands on our patients' heads and we cry out to the Lord for the wisdom we need to take care of them. And um, their expressions of thankfulness, uh, joy, and um, gee, we get it, Doc. And then to say, and also to see that as God leads people in right relationship, there's a pastor there, there's a chaplain with us, there's members of the team who have more specific both time to drill down and go deeper into uh, who, where, which village do you live in and who's the pastor that could be closest to you? Can we connect you into that family of God? And so that's been a huge thing, connecting. The other thing is to discover that God has used patients who've come to me, not said boo, who have seen their child get better, and four years later show up in church and said, you prayed for my kid. I went home to my village, and the headman in my village, who was the shaman and the witch doctor, we would call them in colloquial parlance, that guy came to me and said, hey, we killed two cows over this boy of yours, and he didn't get better. Now, how did he get better when you took him to the hospital? Because nothing we did worked. What did you do? What magic did you practice? And the lady says, the people prayed. And the people operated. And you can see the scars on my son's leg. And he had osteomyelitis, and his osteomyelitis had gone away after several different surgeries, but they had spent about a year in the hospital. So your son's healthy today? Yes. And all you they did was pray and operate on him? Yes. And every time I look at you, I can't look at you because there's this light coming out of you. And he sends her back to the village saying, there's something happening here that I cannot explain. Mm -hmm. She comes back to the church and says, people want to know why there's a light in me and why there's such what had happened to my son has spoken into the family. Will you come and tell us about this God that we started to hear about four years ago when we arrived at the hospital? Wow. Two years later, they come to me in church and want to want to bring me a goat to say thank you for something I did four years ago, <laughs> and I didn't have I didn't hadn't connected the dots back then. Mm-hmm. And, and I think sometimes that's God's way of reminding us that hey, I am at work, and you don't see. So you mentioned, you know, we don't always see God working. Um, I've read many things where you're very creative in surgery, you know, with (laughs) the lack of equipment and resources that you have. You, you are creative, and a lot of that is your your skill and your knowledge, but I know a lot of it is God. You know, mm. it's the miracle of the fish and the loaves, you know, when yep. the disciples told Jesus, but we don't have anything to feed them. We only have, you know, this much bread and this much fish, and He made the miracle. So I know that happens time and time again in surgery, but yep. are there any stories that you can share where you didn't have what you needed for a certain operation, uh, but God— provided what you needed, or he did the miracle. Are there any stories that you can share on that? Yeah. Um, Four years ago, on a weekend, a boy about seven, eight years old arrived in our merge with an abdominal mass, 
that I couldn't figure out. We looked at it with ultrasound. On a Saturday afternoon, I take him to theater because the kid's getting so sick and uh, open his belly. I'm not much wiser as to what's going on, except that the kid's got some kind of congenital anomaly and is, he's got one of these what we call horseshoe kidneys where the two kidneys are together and in abnormal position uh, on top of the lumbar spine. And so I put a big drain in, finally decide that's all I can do. A week later, the kid's not any better, it's getting worse. And a week later, a professor of urology from the University of Chicago shows up visiting his son who's a missionary in southern Angola, and he happens to come by and do rounds. So I take him on rounds and show him this boy, and I said, yeah, a week ago I spent hours inside this belly, and I could not figure out what was wrong with this young boy. He wouldn't want to scrub with me on Tuesday, and we'll go back inside and have a look because there's got to be something we can do. And you're a professor of urology, after all. You should be able to recognize the anatomy a lot better than I do. So he agrees. We spent another three hours inside this boy on a Tuesday. And another seven days go by. We cannot fix anything that we found in the belly. On finally the following Monday, I call the mother and dad in, and we talk with them over the boy and say, after two weeks in hospital, two surgeries, professor here, he's with me right now on rounds. He doesn't speak Portuguese, but we're trying to help him understand. And um, say to him, say to the family, your boy's dying. There's nothing I can do about it. And um, I'm sorry, but the kidney function's going south. The kidneys, the, the electrolyte imbalances are causing your brother, your son to be disturbed. He doesn't know where he is in time and space. He's becoming confused. And it's going to get worse. And maybe by the end of the week, he'll be dead. I turn around and take two steps. And then I hear very clearly, but Stephen, you haven't asked me. So, I, well, I haven't been spoken to by God very directly, very often like that. But I said, oh, yes, Lord. We didn't ask you, did we? I put my fancy opinion out there, and I put my professor's fancy opinion out there, and we said we can't do anything more for your son. So let's go back. We turn around, went back, put our hands on the child's head, and to the parents and said, will you let us pray for your son because there's nothing more any of us can do in this room. So we did that. I said, Lord, sorry. I, uh, I should have said this five minutes ago, but I didn't. I was kind of filled with my um, smartness and uh, my personal, hey, I, if I can't fix it, nobody can kind of idea. And um, sorry, we, we missed this opportunity to call you for help, but this is what we're doing. This boy's going to lose his life. And in your wisdom and, and in your mercy, shower mercy on this family. Walked away. Family's crying. Because now oh, they realize that we've talked to God about it and we've talked, told God this kid's going to die unless you do something. Uh, that just seemed like a death sentence. Thursday, come back and do rounds, and the 
kid says to me, you haven't let me eat all this week. Mm -hmm. I'm hungry as can be. Can't you feed me? I said, well, you're hungry? Well, sure, let your mom feed you. So mom brought in some food, and he polishes it off his plate like he's, nothing's happened to him. Next day, he says, what am I still doing here? Can't you take this catheter out of here and let me go? I'm ready to go home. So Saturday, we sent him home. And uh, and God healed this boy completely. His creatinine, his urine, electrolytes, all of those fancy things came back to normal, and his kidney completely normalized. And I just said to myself, I said, I turned to my professor from the University of Chicago. I said, "See what God does when we're up a, a creek without a paddle, and there's nothing more we can do." And We've tried every fancy trick, and it, this has been perhaps right. the most flagrant example right. of God's intervening. But in the mercy and mystery of God's ways, he sometimes chooses to let you have some more time here and to be one of his servants this side of the veil. If we had been running the game and we had been calling the shots, we would have been saying, oh, Lord, why didn't you do it this way? But... Isn't that the mystery of being called into his presence and being called into his faithful service? And we have to do what Jesus said to John and Peter in the end of the Gospel of John. What does it matter what happens to John? You, Peter, be faithful. And um, when you're older, you're going to have things done to you that you didn't want to have done. And John, as far as we know, seems to be the only apostle who actually probably died in his sleep or died of old age. All the rest of the guys got strung up a lot, a lot, a lot sooner than perhaps they wanted to be. So, yeah, that's the mystery. I'm thankful for that story and that humility, you know, that you were reminded mm. that first we need to ask, because that's, you know, Jesus modeled that. And yep. the the story of the fish and the loaves, you know, Jesus looked up to heaven, you know, before he did it and, and broke bread dad. and thanked. And, you know, on the cross, he even said it, please take mm. this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be yeah. done. So he modeled that so well. So I guess in closing, how can we be praying? Because you're right. It starts there. It starts with God. Uh Show us what you want us to do. Um, so how can we be praying for your ministry and for your for your hospital? And as you train more um, doctors, you know, future evangelists to stay, and um, how can we be praying for your ministry? Well, I think the, the call is to, to remain faithful to the end. God has given us the privilege uh, through the years to be reminded time and again that it was faithful servants of his who set the path, men and women who died in that process, men and women who thought sacrificing their lives was nothing but gain. Mm -hmm. And there are just not enough of us around. You know, the laborers are few. So right. we, we right. go back and do what Jesus said. Well, I'll talk to my daddy about that. You know, And I love talking to my our daddy about the fact that um, laborers are few in Angola and we sure need some. And if you guys can help us find some folk who want to serve the king, it's the most fun there is in this world. <laughs> and it's the most complex. But if you want to have some fun, come and help me clean bricks in Angola. And thank you for your many years of faithfulness because your family has been faithful to the gospel. And I think, you know, missionaries, adoption, you know, anything— I think benevolence, you know, mm. sympathy, empathy gets us in the game. 
Yeah. Uh, but Jesus is what allows you Jesus. to withstand because I think so many have this heart and they want to do something, but they'll quit or give mm. up when it gets mm. hard because mm. it is hard. You've been shot at. I know you've watched people be killed and you've gone through hardships and mm. you had every right to throw in the towel, but you stayed faithful. And so we'll continue to pray for your faithfulness, but you're right. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And that's what we say here all, all the time on the podcast, you know, the, for, for you to ask yeah. God, what do yeah. you have for me? And it might be to go to Africa, but it might be to be an evangelist in your town. So thank you for your stories, your example, your ministry. But I think this has been very encouraging and, uh, you know, convicting in a good way Mm, to stay faithful to what God's called us to do. I could have sat for hours and, and still not heard all of Dr. Foster's stories. If you'd like to hear more about him and his work um, through medicine, I encourage you to read Benefits of Steel. It was written by his nephew, Michael Hoskin. We'll put the the link in our show notes to find more on that book. And Steve, you know, in our conversation, he shared the powerful story of the miraculous healing of a little boy and then the way that he couldn't save him, but God stepped in and did. And it's powerful to hear how God heals and moves today. Stephen has seen so many patients healed physically, but more importantly, spiritually. God truly is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. And I love hearing um, this healing through World Medical Mission all around the world. Uh, but, I, but I know with every healing, there's also loss. Um, Dr. Foster lost many patients um, and colleagues, both to sickness and war. And so he has so many stories, both on beauty and tragedy. And throughout our conversation, I was reminded um, of Martha's reaction when, her, when Lazarus dies. You know, she shows us how to both cry out to God and cast our burdens upon him, but also to have faith. And John 11 is where this story is. It shows us Jesus' compassion for someone he loves, but also his dependence on God and bringing him glory. And so I just want to read a little bit about this, Jesus' reaction when when Lazarus was sick. And verse 4 says, When Jesus heard it, he said, This sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And when he finally reached um, the place where Lazarus died, in verse 17, it says, When Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was only a few miles down the road from Jerusalem, and many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So in the same sentence, she offered her honest heartbreak. Um, If you'd only been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But she also presented faith, you know, by saying, even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. She trusted that Jesus um, was over all the outcome, that God was sovereign, even in her sadness. And and I don't want to speak for medical professionals or our partners with World Medical Mission, but I can imagine that treating patients— you know, they often weep, wishing that God would have saved them. But they they continue on serving for the glory of God. And, and they know and they trust that God is sovereign and that to live is Christ and to die is gain. And that is why we have to offer the spiritual hope. Because um, 
to live as Christ and to die as gain. And we love sharing testimonies about our faithful partners all around the world and how they take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And the story of John reminds, reminds me that we live in a fallen, broken world. We are plagued with sin, and we will all face death. But there's hope, hope in Jesus. As he says in the same chapter, John 11, verse 25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Have you responded as Martha did in, in John eleven twenty seven? She says, yes, Lord. She told him, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into this world. Um, and I know many of you listening, you do believe this, but I just ask everyone, do you truly believe this? Do you believe that, as John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loves you. He has a purpose for your life. But our sin separates us from God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We can't bridge this gap, this separation by works or by anything that we can do by ourselves. God bridges that gap with the cross. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. Romans 5.8 says, But God shows his love for us while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. When we respond and receive to Christ, he pays the penalty for us. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so I encourage you to settle this today. Even in, if you're dealing with grief, frustration, and struggle, just like Martha did, you can surrender it to the Lord Jesus Christ today. The Billy Graham Evangelistic Association has several resources that can help you learn about God's offer of forgiveness and salvation and can help, walk, help you with your walk with Christ. So if you want more information, I encourage you to go to BillyGrahamEvangelisticAssociation.org or you can call the, the prayer line any time of day at 888-388-2683. Thank you so much for tuning in today and God bless you.